0: Good morning, morning. I am Valerie Bellamy, just like Pastor Aaron said, and it is really, really good to be with you this morning. Um, As I've just been, first of all, I'm going to organize some notes real quick so it all makes sense to you and me. As I've been just considering what the Lord might have for us this morning, my prayer has been this, is that you don't remember my name or a word that I may say, but that you and that I, that we would encounter the very presence of God this morning. But it says only Jesus has the words of life. And I'm so grateful that Jesus shows up, that he is present, and that not only does he, is he able to speak to us, but that he longs to connect with us. And so regardless of where you're coming from this morning, I, I just sense God's invitation for us all to come close. One of my very favorite authors says this in his book um, called Soul Cravings. Erwin McManus says this. He says, this is the story of God, that he pursues you with his love and pursues you with his love and pursues you with his love. And even if you reject his love, he pursues you even still. For in the issues of love, you must go yourself. And so God has come. And this is the story of Jesus that God has walked among us and pursues us with his love. He is very familiar with rejection, but is still undeterred and is even now still pursuing you with his love. If anyone knows the pain of love unreturned, it must be God. And we all have a story, don't we? And we may tell it differently depending on who's in the room. It's always interesting when someone else tells our story, what they would, you know, even listening to someone introduce you. When someone's talking about you, what do they emphasize and what do they leave behind? Our stories. What would you say? You know, if we went around and it said, tell us your story, what would you say? Who would you make sure that you mentioned? What would you leave out? What details do you want us all to know? And what things do you hope that we never do? And how about God? What's his story? And if he had one, if he has one, how would he tell it? Who and what would it include? And would he tell it differently depending on who's in the room? One of my very favorite scriptures is Luke 15. And it is God himself dressed in human skin telling his own story. Before we dive into it, I'm going to take note of who he's telling this story to. Luke 15, the first few verses, it says this. It says, by this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Some scriptures say, of uh, men and women of notori- notorious sinners, some scripture says. And also, the Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased at all. And they growled, He takes in sinners and eats with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story. So, who is God telling His story to? Everybody. It says in that, in that setting, you have those who are of ill, had an ill reputation, bad reputation, the notorious sinners. That means that they sinned big and they were defined by everyone else by their very worst moments. They wore their shame and they wore their failures and they wore their rebellion outwardly and everyone knew. And then you have those over here, the scholars and the religious ones who, you know what, were equally as broken, but did a really good job hiding it. And then you have everyone in between. You may have those who are passing by and wonder what the commotion was. You just have the spectrum of humanity represented before Jesus. And what does he say? I'm going to paraphrase the first part of what he said, and then we're going to dive into scripture for the last. But Jesus gathered around. He said, here's the thing. He said, if a man had 100 sheep and one wandered off, wouldn't he go get it? And when he found it, wouldn't he put it over his shoulders and carry it back to the rest of the sheep? And on his way back, wouldn't he like call the friends and neighbors out of their houses and say, Look, look, my lost sheep, the one that was alone and wandered off, it's been found. Come and celebrate with me. Jesus has a way of addressing everyone in the room, and everyone individually in the room. He's saying, there's the sheep that stayed. There's the sheep that left. I have come for you all, and I've also come just for you. That he can speak to us collectively, and he can pierce our heart individually and then jesus said there is this woman and she had 10 coins and she lost one and she turned her little house upside down looking for it and when she found it she ran out into the street and she called all of her friends and neighbors and she said look there was one coin missing from my collection but not anymore I found it. Come and rejoice and have a party with me in celebration. And lastly, the last story Jesus tells, he said there was a man and he had two sons. And I imagine him with this group in front of him, those who stick close to the religious structure, those who wore their heartache and dysfunctions and failures inside and presented well. And those who everyone knew were a mess through and through. And Jesus says, there was a father and he has two sons. And one of them says, father, I, you're as good as dead to me. I'd rather have all the stuff that's owed to me after you die, so I'll just take it now. And he took all the inheritance, everything owed him, everything not, not deserved but given by his father, and he took off to a far, far, far away land. And then there was the other son who stayed close. who stayed close to home, but never came in. And Jesus said this, the first son went away and he squandered everything. He hit bottom. He went so low that he realized that even being a slave in his own father's house is better than the reality that he was living feeding pigs, and homeless, and worn out by his search for pleasure and meaning in everything that destroys you. And it says that he came to his senses one day, and he starts the long road home toward his father. And it says he was rehearsing a speech, saying, Father, I've sinned, Father, I don't deserve anything from you, but could I please serve you as a servant? And so he's, he, he's rolling around this apology in his head, and he's, and he's walking home, and it says this. And it says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, turned his face toward him, and ran he says his father had no time to hear the apology. He was too busy wrapping his arms around his son's neck, kissing him and crying over him, and reestablishing his sonship by telling the servants, bring the robe, bring the ring. He's back. Let's go celebrate together. And it says, as the celebration was happening, the father mentioned, the, the father noticed, This is really good, but not everyone is here. And so he went out back to his older son, and he begged him to come in. Because the celebration was not complete without everyone there. And you wonder who was farther away, the one who took off to a distant land or the one who hung out in the backyard but never came inside the home. Jesus said, I've come for all of you. I've come for all of you. This is the story of God. And today, I am asking that we would find ourselves in our story, in God's story. As God in the flesh tells his story to this group, he comes this morning, and he tells and he whispers his story over us, and he says, find yourself in it. The beautiful thing that is that we not only get to listen to the story of God, but we get to participate in it. It was about nine years ago where I was invited to go to Indonesia for the first time with Compassion First. I did not know where Indonesia was. I had never heard about Compassion First. And after not a small wrestling match with God, decided just to go for 10 days but before i got on that airplane i went into my mailbox and I, and I and i received a package from a friend who lives not too far away from me and she said valerie i see you're going to indonesia uh, you might think this is strange but when i saw that probably on facebook and my children say facebook is now for old people but it was really cool back then um, she said i see you're going You might think this is strange, but God had told me that I am supposed to go into my bedroom, go to my jewelry box, and he pointed out a specific ring that belongs to me, and that I am to send you this ring in the mail, and you are to put this ring in your pocket, because there is a woman in Indonesia that God wants you to give it to. And she said, you are to look this woman in the eye, and you are to give her this ring, and you are to say to her three things. Tell her God has not forgotten her. Tell her you are precious to God. And tell her that God promises himself to her. So though I didn't know the full purpose for this trip, I did know that there was a woman that God loved on the other side of the globe that he was pursuing with his love that would stop at nothing to get to just her. And when I got off the plane in Indonesia, I was met by a really beautiful woman connected with Compassion First. Her name was Davy. She was my guide and my translator and my companion on my quest to find this one that God loves. And we looked for her in rooms full of mothers, HIV-positive mothers who had no money for medicine or milk for their babies. We looked for her even in in a Christmas celebration with 300 transvestite prostitutes, so men dressed as women so many of them bearing the scars of underground reconstructive surgeries that went terribly wrong. We looked for her in Yellowflower Cemetery, which is a sprawling 17-acre cemetery where, where children and women live between the graves, where the women sell themselves at night behind those graves for 75 cents in order for the survival of their families. And everywhere we went, there was just this like question in my heart, like, God, is she here? God, is she here? And it had been several days through this beautiful country, and I, but I did. I, n- I never sensed that, it, that she was. But I would look into each one's eyes, wondering if this is the one I've come for, and it just wasn't a sense that I had met the one the ring was intended to be given to. Until one day, driving in this van in this huge, must, dirty old city, Surabaya, Indonesia, which has become my favorite place, I remember the Spirit of God just whispering to me and just said, Valerie, you have been looking for her, um, but she has been with you all along. And I realized it was my friend, Davey whom I did not know her story at that time. And so that night, I thought, I will give her this ring, and I will give her this message tonight over dinner. And I went home, and I wrote this. I went to my hotel room, and I just wrote a note just saying, hey, here's the thing. You're the reason I've come. And it's not because I am special, but it's because you are so special and dear to God. But let me tell you what he did. He had a friend invite me to come to a place I'd never heard of or ever ever desired to visit, and had my friend mail me a ring that God has sent her into her bedroom, into her jewelry box, to pick out just for you so I could put it in my pocket and fly across the whole world to come and deliver to you with the promise of God. And I remember sitting over dinner knowing that I was about to present my friend with this ring and this message from God. And then she began to cry, and she began for the first time to tell me her story. And as she began to tell her story, she ended by saying, she said, Sister, because of what was done to me, And then because of what I've done in response to that, I know I am no longer precious to God. And that was my cue. But I wonder, Because of what's been done to me, or because of what I've done, I know I am no longer precious to God. I wonder if that is not was not only Davy's experience, but if if that is our internal narrative. We are precious to God. One of the first little girls we chased to another island. One of the first little girls I met named Saviola, who was taken from Java to Bali to be bought and sold a dozen times every night by tourists in a jungle in Ubud, Indonesia, Bali. She was the first little girl that I knew personally, taken and trafficked. At that point, I knew that trafficking was a worthy cause, that it was dear to the heart of God, and it was worth giving my life to. But until I knew a little girl, until a little girl that I loved was taken and sold, I don't think it became, well, it just became personal at that point. A Compassion First, we work with police to secure rescue of children who are trafficked. We bring them to our homes and provide them a space for them to heal. We don't conduct rescues unless you know the little girl who's been taken, right? It's different when you're compelled by love and you go for the one that you love. And I remember flying to that island with my partner and connecting with police and other organizations there. And God was gracious and God gave her to us. And my job, my role that day of her rescue was to meet her mom at the airport. Her mom um, has lived and sold herself in cemeteries her whole life. Had no education, not even an elementary school one. She identifies as a Muslim. You have to identify, register with the government as some kind of religion, but really her practice was black magic and voodoo in the cemetery. She had never left that island. She had never seen an airplane. And my role was to pick her up from the airport and drive her up to um, a police station in the jungle and try to communicate what has been done to her daughter, the conditions in which we found her, and what the next steps are. And I wondered what that drive might be like. I picked her up, and I said, we have one hour. And this has got to feel overwhelming and confusing. But if I can answer any question, Help you understand what's going on. You're going to be asked to make some important decisions. And I want to make sure you understand what's at stake here. And she only had one question for me that day. And I thank God because it's the only question I had the answer to. There are so many logistics. There are so many, there were so many strategies and people in place that were just a swirling, a swirl of, of logistics and prep, and preparations and just so many pieces to this thing. I wondered which one she would choose. And she just said this. She said, why did you do this? All of this trouble for my one daughter. All of this trouble for my family. And she asked that question again, and she asked that question again. we got to the police station. Saviola came out to the car. By the way, no child is happy to be rescued. She's a little confused about who loves her and who's using her. She gets in the car, brokenhearted. And then I see the man who has trafficked this little girl out walk out to his car, and wave to us on his way, and drive away. And his consequence was he had to sign a document that said, if I employ a minor in my establishment again, there will be consequences. And there's this 12-year-old little girl, a puddle of tears and full of trauma. But at the end of that day, I again asked the mom, do you understand what happened? Can I clear up anything for you? And she asks the same question again. She goes, just one thing, why? And that was the moment we got to say, you know why? Because you go for the one that you love, right? Like you got on that airplane and you got yourself here for the one that you love. There is a God who loves you like that, who stops at nothing to get to you. Let me tell you what he's done for you. his name is Jesus. And I can tell you I wish I had a video camera in that moment because it was as if her whole countenance changed. And in that moment, I think she realized two things simultaneously, and I think we have to. She realized, one, that there may be a God who believes that she's worth going for, that there is a God who came for her, and that she is worth coming for both those things and then she looked up and she said she said I cannot wait to go home to tell my friends my new story we are precious to God we are precious to God and we are precious because he says we are precious that there's a God who comes for us, makes us worth coming for. And when we are unconvinced of our worth, of our preciousness, it doesn't always present as being really apologetic for everything you do. It doesn't always present as, who am I? Sometimes it presents as arrogance. But when we are rooted in the preciousness that God says that we are rooted in, there is no room for comparison. There is no room for posturing. you are precious because God says you're precious. There is actually nothing you have done, nothing you have encountered that takes away or cancels out that precious place you have in the heart of God. when I was, it's been maybe 20 years ago or so. And I would say growing up, I was a rule follower, but I was brokenhearted in so many ways. I looked, uh, I would have just been in this group over here with all of the, those who had it together, right? But I knew that I I didn't really. And I remember sitting in the front seat of my church, and I was just thinking, this is exhausting. I'm not doing this anymore. I just knew that what I presented did not, was not consistent with all of the brokenness. And I remember just telling God, when that pastor says amen, I'm actually going to get up and I'm going to go down that central aisle, into my car, and I am going to drive away and not come back. Except for when the pastor said amen, and I hightailed it down the aisle, there was a woman I barely knew at the time that chased after me. And I wasn't happy that she did, but she just said, hey, Valerie, um, I know we don't know each other very well, but..." You're, you've been on my heart and I'm just wondering if we could be friends. God often comes to us disguised in one another, right and whether it's, you feel distant from God, whether you feel that it spans the, the, the length of the globe or whether you feel it's just it's the length from here to the back of the room like the distance. I don't know which I don't know if you are any closer or any further away until we decide to walk toward the invitation of God to come close to be embraced to come home and I don't know about you but I have found this I have found that those closest to a brand new story are those who come to the end of themselves first. When we come to the end of us, that is our opportunity to begin something new and precious and sacred with God. Our hardship is what will lead us home. It is not the thing that proves that we we are not loved, but sometimes the hard thing is the very thing that will change our trajectory back home. And lastly, God said to to, to the message for this woman was this, God's not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten What he has promised you, what you have asked him for, the things that hurt you, the things you dream of, he has not forgotten you. You're precious to God. And he promises himself to you. No matter what. I came upon a scripture this week I've never seen before, but I love it. And it is in, um, it's in Jeremiah. And God says this, he says, I am as likely to reject you as I am to destroy, to abolish the laws of nature. That's how likely I am to reject you. And when we know that, that when we know, regardless of what we've just endured, what we've just done, that when we look into the face of our Father, we will not see a, an ounce of disappointment, rejection. He is as likely to reject you as he is to abolish the laws of nature. He, God said, I'm not talking about your commitment to me right now. I'm committing myself to To you. He's talking to all of us and he's talking to you. I'm going to end with this. I don't think I would have understood what this means if I had not been able to just see it play out in a way I will never forget. I was walking through the cemetery one night with some of my friends. And I've always wondered what it would feel like if one of my friends, who I do life with during the day, these women during the day were making food together, playing with their kids together, talking about life together. But then at night, she goes and needs to sell herself so she can feed those same children the next day. But I've always wondered what it would feel like for her And for me, but mostly for her, as if I saw her at night selling herself. Not wanting to make her feel uncomfortable or ashamed. But I remember walking through the cemetery one night. The road was just a little path that's lit, and the graves are massive. The graves are taller than me. Just huge cement tombstones where women just are lined up. And I remember one night looking into the distance and seeing one of my friends, and I didn't know what to do. I thought, should I look down? Do I not make eye contact? I don't want her to feel uncomfortable. But I will never forget. I remember seeing her at the the corner of my eye, And not only did she not retreat behind that tombstone, she began to wave and to shout and to raise her hand, and she ran into the light of that road. I think that's what happens when we know that we are as likely to be rejected as as God is to abolish the laws of nature. that she knew that she would be accepted and that she would not be defined by her worst moment. You are not defined by your worst moment. Don't do not waste another moment as if you are. The really cool thing about the story of God is this. And here's the thing, I don't really like parties that much. I get a little like weird and awkward in social settings, but the party that God is inviting us all to at the end is the one I do not want to miss because what do you think they're talking about? Everyone telling their stories. But But listen to this, like when I tell my story when Davy tells her story, when Saviola tells her story, when the women in the cemetery tell their story, when you tell your story. You know what, there's a theme. We're all telling the same story. We're all telling the same story. Like together, we are the story of God. And it's a really beautiful one. Can we just spend one moment praying together? God, I thank you that you come for us. I thank you that you stop at nothing to get to us. I thank you that you come to us in our darkest moment and you declare that we are loved and embraced and free. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our hearts right now to the truth that you have not forgotten us. We are precious to you because we you say we are and that you have promised yourself to us. And friends, I just want you to imagine yourself. What if you Really believe that. Sometimes I wonder if our struggles to believe matters relating to God are actually struggles believing that we matter at all. What if you believed that you weren't forgotten? What if you believed? in your preciousness to god what if you believed and made your decisions and moved out and did life and relationship confident that god has committed himself to you no matter what i think shame just falls to the ground. And we get to live in a freedom and in a joy and in an intimacy with God and a peace with ourselves. And this is the invitation of God. For each one of you, for all of us, and just for you—an invitation, an invitation extended just to you, and an invitation only you can accept. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just give us. Oh Lord, help us to help us. We want to believe these things, but how can it be? the things that life has thrown at us, the things that we've done, is it possible to be free? Is it possible to have a new story, a new chapter? Is Is it possible to be able to tell our story, leaving no parts out without shame? because you know us and because you want us to be home. We love you, Lord. I ask that you would continue the conversations you've begun in our hearts. Thank you for coming for us. In Jesus' name.